you know, normally I we we we, do, we bullshit so that we can have a cold open, and we did all of that, but we didn't record a word of it. <laughs> we could uh, we could probably do a whole topic on cussing in your in your game text. Oh yeah, maybe we can. I don't know how. I don't know if we're gonna do a how what our bonus content for this episode is gonna be. Maybe we can just do a total aside for the bonus content and just talk about swearing. We should swearing just in your game text. We should just replace like every other word in a book with fuck. And then Fuck. just read it. <laughs> like, just add it as, like, an adjective onto this, like, this fucking thing and that fucking thing. And you you're going to pick a fucking take, class. Should take a particularly jargony sentence from any White Wolf game or Onyx Path game. And, and, and then replace, replace the jargon, the jargon with cuss words. With yes, with cuss words, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have the Exalted 3rd Edition core book right here. <laughs> I'm for it. <laughs> All right. Anyway, are we going to, are we going to do this thing? I guess. <laughs> I get started. I had to sh- shovel goldfish into my face. I understand. There are priorities there are, here. There were priorities here and eating goldfish was on the top of the list. Yeah. Welcome to a new bonus experience series. Uh, we have brought on friend of the show and repeat guest Daniel Lozon to do this however many episode we feel like a series where we go deep on one mechanical topic. Deep. Deep. As always, we are two queer women speaking with authority about games. And yes, we still swear. You can go die mad about it. I am Monica, regular host of the show, person of a variety of <laughs> qualifications. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Expelled a death <laughs> mechanical developer. Uh, I'll send you my CV. Who are you? Uh, I'm Danielle Lozon. I am a frequent guest on the show. I guess at this point, sub co host. Sub co host, uh, yeah. <laughs> I am a subspecies of co host on this show. <laughs> also a game developer. <laughs> I am the mechanical lead on Story Path Systems for Trinity Continuum. I develop a bunch of bullshit for Onyx Path, and I also do consulting work for things like Power Creep. <laughs> uh, today, <laughs> today our deep dive is going to be on the somewhat contentious question mark topic of Power Creep. Yeah, Power yeah. Creep. Power Creep. We should probably define what that is for our audience who might not know. Yeah. So if you've ever heard anybody talking about power creep or if you've ever heard people talking about how this new book for this game came out and everything in it is better than the stuff that came before, that's power creep. The concept is that as the game line gets older and older, as new books come out, the power level of those things that are the new mechanics or whatever is more powerful or better in general than the stuff that came before. And a lot of people will lament power creep because they feel like this this new mechanic that just came out that is better than what their character has is now invalidating their character choices from before and they either need to remake their character to be within this new power level or be outclassed by new characters made with these new powers. Yeah, that's a very that's a very good definition. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll crack this one open with my hot take, which is that uh, power creep is inevitable. 
Yeah. It really <laughs> is, though. Uh, so, like, this is a thing that I think people, both as consumers and as game creators, are wildly concerned about. But I think it is a thing that you can't actually stop. But but there are degrees of severity of it, and we're yeah. And that's what the deep dives for. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Do we want to start up with like the core book and first edition problem? <laughs> yeah, I, I think we should. I, I think it's good to talk about why power creep happens. And when you yeah. understand how and why power creep happens, you start to understand how you can maybe mitigate it and why Monica says it's inevitable. Yeah. Okay. So do you want me to, to explain why I think it is inevitable or do you want yeah. to go right yeah. in? Go okay, sure. Go so I, I, right I think power creep is is ultimately inevitable. Because you cannot stop your authors from understanding the game better at the end of the line than at the beginning. It's just, you just, like, uh, games, game lines, games edition, game editions last from, like, what would you say, five to ten years? Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, a, an edition lasts about five to ten years. And so when you launch a new product, the first book, well, well, this, is, this is sort of the crux of the core book problem. And I'll, we'll mm -hmm, talk about mm -hmm. that a little bit more in a moment but like the first book you are making everything up right and by the last book presumably you have been playing and writing and working with this game for the past five to ten years right and if you don't get better at using it between the beginning and the end you suck at your job <laughs> I was, like, i'm like making a face over here like oh yikes <laughs> yeah yeah and and the other thing is that like you just even everybody involved just gets better and yeah. understands it better the longer it goes on. So, like, the fact that final books are almost always better than first books, unless, of course, you're looking at a line that has produced so many supplements, you're looking at authors with massive burnout by the last book. Right. That, but that's different. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's different. <laughs> yeah, like, like, the end of the line material is almost always better than the beginning of the line material, simply because mastery happened in the process right so you know when you think about that like i could already point out power creep just like from book one to book two of books right where right. when we make book one it's brand new we're just coming up with it maybe we're just thinking about it we're, we're trying to fit all the pieces together and then by book two because we did all that work and then we played it some more and we've done some stuff and now that we're working on book two we've learned so much from point A to point B that now we're like, well, I have so many regrets. <laughs> and, you know, maybe that's its own talk later of like, you know, perfect is the enemy of done. Right. That is another problem that happens with first edition core book issues, right? Is making a core book is hard. There's it's a really lot hard. of work that goes into it, especially if it's got a brand new system. You're, you're, you're building a system, you're writing a bunch of war. You don't have anything else to pull off of. You're, you're building it. You're trying to make it cohesive. You maybe have multiple different authors with different ideas. There's a lot of moving parts that people don't think about when they think about making a game, especially for a crunchier, like, you know, power creep doesn't happen in a narrative game. Because yeah, there yeah, are no but... powers in a narrative game. <laughs> yeah, I, think we should, I think we should clarify here that we are specifically talking about what, what we would define as traditional games. Right. Right. Uh, there, I would not say that even though I would classify PBTA as a, a traditional game, you can hear my hot take on the episode about traditional games there. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't think there's such a thing as PBTA power creep. 
No, I mean, but there is in a sense that like there are versions of PBTA games, right? There mm-hmm. are people who understand that mechanic far better than other people. That's so, true. So there's a wild difference between PBTA game A and PBTA mm-hmm. game B, where PBTA game A is written by somebody who deeply well understands the system and the mechanics mm-hmm. are like a well-oiled machine right. and B where people only barely grasp the system and it's a clunky piece of shit. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, <laughs> and, and like I've played in both types and it's so obvious when you start to understand, like the better you get at understanding PBTA, the more you start to realize like, Oh, those moves don't make any fucking sense. And I, right. I think I think fate and fate hacks are similar under that same umbrella. Yeah. yeah. Where like you don't ex- necessarily see like you're not necessarily seeing fate power creep because fate is also not a sequential line. Like no. there is no fate PHB three. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like there's just all new other... iterations of fate settings fate and sometimes settings, they right. get it better. Right. And some fate settings really have a good grasp on how to use fate and some. Yeah have less of a good grasp on how to use fate. Right. Yeah. And and then I think that's, you know, that's a part of that system mastery thing, right? Right. So, yeah, as you as you work on a game line, you know, you're going to gain more and more mastery over the system. And if you don't, then maybe you should stop doing this. <laughs> because, you know, if you're not learning from your mistakes, that there is a problem. You should right. not be repeating the same mistakes over and over again. There's all so many more new mistakes for you to be making. It's <laughs> <are so> just <laughs> senseless to keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Right. You can make a dozen new ones. I know. Uh, right. Like, <laughs> so many, there's so many new ways to fuck up. Right. Uh, like, <laughs> God, it's so uninventive to just fuck up the same way over and over again. I mean, just right. get a God. experimental. Mess up another rule. Right. Uh, so like that, that is... Okay, so that we kind of touched on this. So let me go ahead and define it. Like that is the core book and first edition problem. So like right. the launch of any game line or series, and we do mean a traditional game line or series. We're not talking about like ten candles is not going to have right. this problem. No, um, <laughs> no. Like any traditional game, including the many of the ones that we have worked on. Like you have mm-hmm. the, your launch book and your first edition. The very first attempt you make at that, literally everyone is guessing. Yep, everybody. <laughs> Everybody is guessing. Even when we playtest it, there's no amount of playtesting that you can do before a book goes live without playtesting it for years and years that you can do to find all of the problems. You're going to find some big things. You know, you're going to find, oh, this thing just doesn't work or, oh, these powers like invalidate each other or, oh, you know, like this falls apart after session, you know, after the fifth roll. Right. Those you will find in playtesting, but you Mm -hmm. need hundreds of eyes you need hundreds of plays you need hours and hours of seeing people break the system and that's something else that is you can never make a system that people can't break like that's just not a thing and so you just need to know how they're going to be able to break it and you're never going to know until you've seen it done you know I i have so much institutional knowledge of world of darkness that came from being part of a large LARP organization that used all the all the rules and they wanted to use all the rules together because oh, some no. some player wants to play it well, I mean, even just like within Vampire, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody wants to play a Lasombra who's a member of the Camarilla. They also want to play a Zemisi that's a member of the Camarilla, or they want to play a Ravnos that's an Anarch, or they want to play, you know, 
They want to play whatever they're going to play. They want their special snowflake character. Those are examples of two things that don't go together. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That's fine. (laughs) Your listeners will know what I'm talking about. Uh, Some of them will, I'm sure. (laughs) Some of them. So, you know, essentially they want to play, they want to play special clans, clans that don't belong in groups. They want to take special powers. They want to play elder characters, which, you know, one of the things early editions of Vampire the Masquerade, in fact, lots of editions of Vampire the Masquerade did was they were like, here are these elders. They're really super powerful. They're very, they're very beefy. They're very cool. They're mysterious. They don't go out and do stuff. And really, you shouldn't be playing them. But here's a bunch of mechanics for how to play them. And that's such a big fucking mistake. If you, if like, don't tell somebody the mechanics of how to play a thing if you don't actually want them to play them. So because the moment Exalted you give them mechanics, too. <laughs> yeah, we'll go and Exalted- finish your thought. Finish your thought. Yeah. It, it it's a big problem, right? If you if you don't want it to be playable, don't give it don't give it the word count that makes it look playable. Like- right. So like the the old exalted problem was there are these elder exalts. There's a bunch of them. They're mysterious. They're really powerful. They don't go out and do things. They'll fuck you up if you mess with them. Like you can just take vampire and just erase it and replace it with exalt. You're not okay. supposed to play them. But it's implied that you will eventually get there. Yep. But we we have given you zero of the tools to do so. <laughs> uh, until we did it in second edition and it was bad. Um, it was bad. <laughs> it was like, well, like nobody could quite figure out. Second edition had lots of problems, but the particular sure. like suite of fire essence stuff that came out of second edition was sort of like, we don't really know what the game is supposed to look like at this level. <laughs> Sure. We know yeah, how I mean, these people are supposed to behave narratively, but what does that mean for a player character? And right. uniformly they were terrible. <laughs> right. Yeah. So so you wind up so you wind up with this kind of stuff, right? Where mm-hmm. you know, players start to pull at the pieces that you maybe described poorly or didn't completely do, and they they unravel it. And you don't learn how easy it is to unravel or what happens when it unravels until it's out in the wild. Yeah, until someone has pulled that loose thread all the way out. Right. And you can't plan for that. Like, you can try to plan for that and you can get some people to pick it apart. But until hundreds of fans are picking it apart, you're not going to get there. And so you may get a lot of eyes on something and everybody, especially when it's brand new, the, the fans don't know either. Right. You can read a thing and think, oh, conceptually, I understand this. It reads well. And then and it, I understand how it works. And then you go to the table and you start using it and you go, oh, this doesn't work the way I thought it would. <laughs> right. Oh, well, I, th- you know, everybody missed the fact that there is a keyword missing in this description. Yep. Everybody. Literally. Everybody. Literally. Ever- all, the, like, definitely there's been a case where something I wrote. Mm-hmm. Uh, was missing like its key function. Uh-huh. Like the description is there, you can sort of figure out what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But I missed it. The developer missed it. The in-house playtesters missed it. The out-of-house playtesters missed it. The back <laughs> Kickstarter backer Arata missed it. The the Discord two years later is like this doesn't work. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Welcome to first edition. Shins. Yep. <laughs> And and that's an interesting thing. And and I say first editions because you're talking about like Scion, right? 
I am talking about Scion. Yeah. You were correct. And, and Scion is <laughs> Scion's second edition. It is a second edition, but it is a second edition in name only. Yeah. Its edition difference is as wide as the edition difference between, say, like third edition and fourth edition D&D. And even wider than that, actually, because... I was going to say even bigger than that, because... Even, even wider, because the mechanics, like the framework of the mechanics in at least between third and fourth edition is the same you roll a d20 and and they work similarly in the only similarities between first and second edition scion is you roll d10s right they do not work similarly no not Not even a little bit and so there's there's a there's a huge like we created a whole brand new mechanical system in story path that has hallmarks it is it's bad actually because when we talk about when i talk about it i'm like yeah there are hallmarks that it looks a lot like the storytelling systems that you you're used to seeing it's a it's definitely got roots in the white wolf you know d10 system but it has attributes it has skills it has it uses those to create a d10 dice pool and that's where the similarities stop and successes (laughs) it's got successes Successes, yeah and and difficulty Right. But then, but how those work together is so different. And (laughs) people who are used to storytelling, storyteller systems are like, yeah, this looks so familiar. I don't understand it. And they like get caught up on how similar it looks, but then it just doesn't work the way they're expecting it to. Yeah. And then get kind of mad about it. Yeah. Yeah. A little. And, and I think that, you know, there's some familiarity there. And that familiarity is like just enough familiarity to trip you up. Beyond that, let's talk about how power creep works. <laughs> let's right. get back to that. So now that we understand why, in my opinion, the way what you know, like you've described it, I've kind of described it with the first edition problem is you know when you make a thing, you just can't know all the things you don't know yet. Right. And the longer you go, the more you'll find out. Oh man, this is what we messed up, or oh man, that doesn't work the way I thought it would, or oh man. And so when you start making more books for the line inevitably you want to fix those mistakes you don't want to you don't want to bake those mistakes in and then just keep being like well we said this and that's the way it works and we can't ever clarify it because that would be power creep like fuck right you can't don't double down on your mistakes yeah Uh, and so you you try to authors will try to seed in corrections in other stuff Right. So sometimes you'll see in supplements like sidebars or right. um, sections in the updated rules that are like, here's yep. this new thing that this book is introducing that you can backport right. into your other campaign, into your campaign or to your other games or whatever, that solves a problem that we figured out. Right. Plenty of games have this. Yep. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, we've been doing this with StoryPath and, you know, uh, I w- I've been developing the, the Scion Dragon book. Mm-hmm. And Monica, you wrote Nax and some of the dragon powers for that book. And a lot of the Nax are very similar to Nax found in the Scion core book. But because dragon is its own core book, it has all of its own, like, other than it, it uses hero, but it doesn't use, uh, I mean, sorry, it uses origin. Oh, I got them mixed up. It uses origin. That's where all the story path mechanics for Scion are. But it doesn't use hero at all. It's got its own callings. It's got its own powers. It's got its own character creation system. Like dragons are standalone book. It's a standalone book within the Scion line. And 
so there are some, you know, knacks that are translated over from the hero book. And Monica was like, I'm going to make these like, I'm going to fix these because I realized that there were some problems with them originally. <laughs> and uh, and I'm going to make this little sidebar that says, like, we've learned some things. And yes, <laughs> these may look different and have the same name. You're welcome to use them in your Scion games with these <laughs> updated mechanics. Because why reprint a poor mechanic when we could fix it? Right. And like, it, would you? B- both in that case, it was why reprint a mechanic when we could fix it? And also, why reprint an effect that already exists? So like there were because because of the overlap between the two, I was like, well, so I already wrote stuff that would fit here. Mm-hmm. So what if I just made what if what if it got a cleaned up version and just expl- explicit permission? that you can use these yeah. this version instead. Uh, and I think we yeah, fixed yeah. a couple tags, too, that were missing stuff, which which were all... Remember when I was like, the in-house playtesters missed it, the out-of-house playtesters missed it, right. the developer missed it. Everybody <laughs> misses it. Everybody missed Sometimes it. Sometimes except... that happens. Right. Two years later, the Discord is like, this is broken. Uh, yeah. So, you know, you, you, you learn and move we... on. Uh, uh, and... You know, I think we said this earlier, you cannot make a system that doesn't break. You just can't. Someone will find the loose thread in your scarf or your whatever, and they will pull on it. What you can do is make sure that when someone pulls on that thread, the whole garment doesn't come apart. Right. And and some of that is just, you know... Some of that is future thinking, right? So can you future-proof a game? And I think the answer is yes. You can, yeah. You know, you can can consider, you know, when you're doing mechanical design, one of the things you can consider is all of the ways your mechanics interact with each other and ensure, and writing down, here's how they interact, like, you know, story path, for example, there are enhancements, there are complications, there's difficulty. and those three things are the core levers that you're pulling on. Mm-hmm. No matter what the power is, you're you're inflicting a complication, you're increasing difficulty, you're lowering difficulty, you're, you know, gaining enhancement, you're removing enhancement, you're whatever. These are your levers. And so if you write down literally every way that those levers can be pulled upon and recognize them, then you can say, okay, now that we know that, we can also prevent the real kind of power creep, which is different from fixing a mechanic. Right. There's this other kind of power creep that happens where it's like, well, at the core book, everything was giving a plus one bonus. Five books later, everything's giving a plus three bonus. Yes. Because we wanted to make more powerful abilities. Right. And like, that's that's the power creep that's no good and, and terrible and bad and everybody should stop doing it. Yes. Uh, this is especially bad in competitive games, yeah. Uh, which is which is outside the scope of of talking about RPGs, but like, you know, uh, Third Edition, which I was part of the the playtest for, was really tamping down on big numbers on models, right? Like mm-hmm. stat mm-hmm. lines were pretty tame. Like characters who previously were super accurate had their numbers bumped down significantly, right. and there was a, a much even spread across the board, right? Numbers wise to make the game more intense and fast right like to to make you kind of use your pieces more strategically instead of throwing big number at guy right Uh, the the most recent like the new faction is coming out and i'm like oh i see sevens are back on the menu 
Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you, you toned down everybody else's stats for the beginning of the game, and now you're like, this guy's allowed to have two sevens in, in defensive abilities. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? That's high. Uh, <laughs> for the record, it's very high. Uh, where five is the normal stat number. And so, like, you're looking, like, um, it was like, okay, so we, we've gone back to big number is okay, even though you very clearly stated in your, <laughs> in like your core rule set that we weren't doing this anymore. That was the problem previously. Yeah, it's interesting to me <laughs> because that does happen, right? Like, right. Uh, you know, if you, and that's something that, like, you know, I I commend later editions of like Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. And then we talked about power creep and system mastery, and you know, like something like third edition got moved into three point five. And one of the things that three point five did of releasing a whole new edition was it took all the mistakes and all the bullshit that they had learned and like oh my god you can have a crit range of like 11 to 20 mm-hmm. in third edition and like let's fix that shit because that's not good right because you know whatever but then towards the end of 3.5 books it started happening again and kids <laughs> i was just about to make a kids these days don't know about confirming criticals <laughs> <laughs> anyway carry on yeah so yeah uh and and that is one of those things where it's it, it's very interesting to me where you can, you know, you can try to design tight math. Right. But but you have to put stipulations on that tight math, right? Like, you know, one of the things, you know, say Scion tried to do and, and is holding to is that there is there is a range of enhancement and, and successes and scale and all this kind of stuff that makes that math really tight. And if you mm-hmm. step outside the bounds of that, you create a problem. And it takes strong leadership and direction to prevent authors from just breaking those bounds. Yes. Right? And that's part of the problem, too, is that when a game line has gone on for so long, you may wind up with new people working on it who are like, well, why can't I have a plus five? Well, because <laughs> that breaks the math. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, let's let me switch gears for a sec and talk about future proofing and talk about essence Mm -hmm. which is a thing that i've spent like a lot of my time in the last three weeks working on because it's in development now uh and then we just did a round of testing at metatopia and this is this is right after it dating this episode Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. so one of the things i would date this episode oh thanks (laughs) (laughs) uh so one of the things that uh that it does is right up front in the core rules puts a hard cap on a bunch of stuff you cannot add no effect now no combination of effects can add more than 10 dice no combination of effects can add more than five successes no combination of effects can bump your static values such as soak or defense five above its base margin or in a a margin of five above above the base so if you have a defense of five you can bump it up to 10 if you have a soak of eight it can go to 13 right and that is your base value so that's like whatever you calculate it from and then any special effect you have that increases it beyond then cannot increase it above a margin of right. five and then it follows that with unless it specifically says otherwise right <laughs> so if we were to get a line which we are not expecting to so please don't take this as like foreshadowing listeners it's just a hypothetical it's a hypothetical so let's let's theorize that it gets its own line in some pie in the sky imaginary world mm-hmm. we would have to prevent people from Deciding that every effect breaks the rule. Right. Because I could see that happening. Right. Well, well, I think that it, well, this is a charm and charms should be able to break rules. That's literally what they're described as. 
Yeah. Uh, breaking the uh, breaking the caps is a sometimes food. Yes. <laughs> Just like cookies. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know it's interest. I say it's interesting, but it it is worth thinking about. You know, stacking and how much things can stack, and whether or not you give permissions to those things. Also, on the player side of things, because like you said, players will find all the things that like hang out together and put them together and they're looking for synergy and it's good to build synergy into your game but synergy should be choices it shouldn't be you know there's something that i i've often kind of stick to when looking at powers or mechanics or special abilities and things like that is if an option that you're presenting to a player is so good that that player has to take it or feels like they have to take it to be any good at what they're doing, then it shouldn't be an option. It should just be given to them. And this is something that, you know, there's other mechanical design thoughts on this, but it it helps prevent that power creep issue, right? When you think about, okay, if, you know, here's this ability, like here's this thing that gives you the permission to do X and X is attacking, you know, or something super mundane or so good that everybody's going to want to do it then if you make that a special power and the option that I'm putting it up against is say, oh, instead of attacking, I could do that or I could make a basket. Well, like, why would I pick making a basket <laughs> when I could attack? And maybe right. there are people who would who will find reason to to not pick the attack. But for the most part, it's you need this to play this game properly. So we should just let you do it. We shouldn't make it a special ability that is a choice because it's not actually a true choice. Right. And that happens, you know, there's there's less obvious things where it's like when you're trying to give people a suite of options at like level one and you can pick between these three things and one of those things is clearly and obviously the right pick, mm -hmm. then you either need to you need to fix that some way. You either need to give that right pick to them as just not a pick, or you need to make the other two things as appealing so that it is not a no-brainer and is actually a difficult choice. Right. So this is this I think ties into like uh, Eddie loves to say there's no such thing as balance, and I love to disagree with him. Yeah, because <laughs> balance does in fact exist. It is this that we're talking about. Right. There, you can air quotes, balance a game by making, by minimizing the choices. Okay, right. so you can, just like you can never prevent power creep because you will ultimately attain system mastery as you go along, uh, the natural kind of power creep, not the shitty kind. Yeah. You, <laughs> yeah. you also cannot always prevent one option from being slightly better than another. Because you... we're, they're being written by human beings, and so not all of them are going to be winners. Yeah. I think I wrote a hundred and twenty? Knacks for Scion cor <laughs> for the core lot. book. That's a <laughs> lot. Like it, it was at least twelve per calling, and there's eleven callings. So yeah, yeah that's, that's what a hundred and twenty-two. I'm very bad at math. Um, <laughs> there's twelve callings. There's eleven callings. There's eleven callings, and you did yeah. twelve per. Roughly, yeah. That's... Some might have a little bit more, and some might have a little bit less. But I tried to do an even number. Yeah, it's like twenty twenty-two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so when you're writing 122 different instances of something, 
like I said, they're not all going to be winners. <laughs> uh, and your developer is supposed to be, and you know, the, your play testers and your beta readers and all that are supposed to be sort of a line of defense between all of them not being winners on publication. And, you know, that's also why you draft. But like, even after that, some of them may still be kind of less good than others, right? Or, or one of them will be outstanding and your developer thinks it's okay. And your play t- the internal playtest group is like, well, it's all right. It's, it's not going to break anything. And then like your external playtesters just don't use it. Uh, and, then, <laughs> and then two years later, the Discord tells you it's broken. So like you can't, because they're being, these are being written by humans, you can't prevent some of them from being slightly better than others. The problem is you can, like the problem is when, one, like Danielle said, one choice becomes the choice. Mm-hmm. And so true balance is making sure that the difference between the optimal choice and the suboptimal choice is so minimal it doesn't affect most gameplay. Right. And and that's that's another thing of, you know, you want all your choices to feel engaging and to feel good and to feel like they're valid options. And for you they may be, but right. for someone else who doesn't like certain styles of gameplay, some of those options may feel obviously not good for them. Or mm-hmm. obviously, I'm never going to take any of these because that's not the kind of gameplay I want to engage in. And mm-hmm. that's not something you can do anything about or should do anything about because there are some people who will view it the other way around where like this person says, oh, well, all these combat options are clearly the way they should go, where somebody else is like, oh, but look at all these amazing social options and I can actually use these and I don't really like combat or whatever, right? So, but having the combat options and the social options feel equally good to people who like one or the other, Mm -hmm. or people who like both going, ooh, I'm having a hard time deciding between these two options, that's the spot you want to be able to hit. And just like you said, not everything's going to be a winner, but you don't want to end up with the power creep problem being that everybody's synergizing all of this one thing. And then because everybody's synergizing all of this one thing, that's the thing you wind up playing into. Yeah. And so you've invalidated choices by not supporting them. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing you see where it's like, oh, yeah, this game has social options and we're going to present some social options in book one and then we're never going to talk about them again. <laughs> well, then, I <laughs> guess that's a thing that's going to happen. Yeah. But- <sighs> Oh yeah, I had a I had a conversation, a weird brief conversation on Twitter with someone, a, a mutual but not a person I know, who was like, people who invest in being bad for roleplay purposes and people who mun- who are munchkins should behave the same. And if the game doesn't acknowledge that, this is a problem with the system. And I was like, yeah, the game should minimize the difference between an optimal choice and a suboptimal choice, and like, right, the core rules should not uh, mandate system mastery. And they were like, I mean, the opposite of that. And I was like, except that the inverse property is true. Like, if someone is, if your system it is still a problem with the system, if the system allows you to have a negative three charisma starting, because people will think that's air quotes fun, y'all have gotten the, the rolling for stats brain rot. It's shitty. <laughs> it isn't actually fun. It kind of sucks. And you've convinced yourself that somehow doing this air quotes bad thing is entertaining. Yep. And if you're if you're listening to this getting mad because you've done that, die mad about it. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, so get over get over your rolling for stats brain rot. 
Yeah. Get, <laughs> I, I mean, and that's part of it, right? Like it is, it is interesting and it is difficult to consider things that you really like as being poor design. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it just is. Yeah, you know, I, I, th- I think I would say that like a lot of classic vampire, and we'll throw Exalted in on this one too, are both pretty terribly designed games that people absolutely fucking love. Yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> I I love I love me some poorly designed vampire nonsense. <laughs> uh, but you know, you you sometimes you like a game because of its flaws or despite its flaws, and that's okay. Like nobody's made a perfect game that I know. No, of. they do not exist. They don't exist, so it's, you know, pick your poison. But you can, if you're designing a game and you're thinking about things like power creep or just good design choices, you know, part of this came up because I recently had a conversation in a meeting with a, about a project I'm not allowed to talk about at all, but about making the mechanics for it as, as creep-proof as possible because we are designing this game to be the start of a long line of other games. So there will be a chance for future books and future mechanics and things like that. And so one of the things we want to think about at the start of this project is we know for sure that some of the books will be designed to increase the player character's power level as they grow in power, a little bit how Scion increases from hero to demigod to god. And Keeping that in mind, how those changes are going to come about, how they will affect player character options, and what they will do to player characters' abilities as those new books come out is important to think about at stage one so that it doesn't look like, oh man, I can just create a character at this new power level that's just infinitely better than what's in the core book. Instead, it's No, here are literally higher level powers that you have to have spent a bunch of experience points to get to in the first place. Yeah, I think uh, part of that future proofing thing is not getting so hung up on starting level. Because I think a lot of games, uh, a lot of these traditional games are built around where the game begins. Right. And not where the game is going. Yeah. Yeah, or is going. Yeah. And so, yeah, a part of that is thinking about, okay, well, what does a a character with a bunch of experience points or a lot of levels look like? And how do we ensure that that is something we want to see moving forward? And, and, you know, some of that design is thinking about all the way down the road, okay, I maybe need to design the mechanical system for, you know, using Scion for reference. I need to really think about the mechanical system for hero demigod and god all at once i can't wait to think about demigod and god until after i'm done with hero because i don't want to accidentally invalidate choices made in hero once we get to level at god and i mean to a certain degree you will but you know an elegant design would be to have your choices at hero matter just as much as you progress through your leveling up of godhood or whatever, that things that grow with you. That's not a direction that Scion took, but it could have very well been one. And it could have worked in a way that would future-proof, here are these characters that are moving through these games, and maybe Demigod is a very different game from Hero, and maybe God is a very different game from Demigod and Hero, but you can keep the same characters 
that progress through all these levels and your choices at the beginning still matter by the time you get to the end. Mm -hmm. And that that could be a cool way to do it. It's not what we did, but it is something to think about, right? It's it's sort of what we did. (laughs) Sort of. It's sort of what we did. Sort of. (laughs) Sort of. I, I was involved with it. It's sort of what we did. I understand. I'm not saying that it's. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I, I'm not saying that there isn't some consideration, right? We right. absolutely considered, but but all three systems weren't designed at the same time. They were not. No, that is yeah. true. <laughs> right. That is a hundred percent true. <laughs> yeah. So I think, like, with this thing we're talking about, you know, think considering. Considering where your game is going to go is really important. And I think more important than people give it credit for. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Well, that puts us at like 49, where we're 30 seconds shy of 50 minutes, um, which is plenty for a regular episode. Um, So I think we can wrap... BXP and the Deep Dive are brought to you by the Misdirected Mark Network. Bing! Thank you. (laughs) If you like listening to us talk about mechanics and junk, you should listen to Gnomecast. Several gnomes from Gnome Stew get together to talk about gaming topics and themselves in an effort to entertain you and avoid being thrown in the stew. Uh, You can support BXP by becoming a patron. Give us a dollar. What could it hurt? Sometimes we do live shows. We haven't done it in a while because Ray's been really, really busy and dealing with a lot of real life stuff. But we'll get back to it soon, I promise. Uh, You can go to patreon.com slash bonus EXP cast and toss us a buck. We are always very thankful whenever people become a patron. We're consistently surprised that people like us, even after all this time. You also get access to a patron-only Discord. You do. Well, anybody can be in the Discord. There's a secret special hidden room Yeah. for patrons where you get But not to... me. Because <laughs> I'm not subclass. <laughs> where you get to hang out with us and, and bother me directly and uh-huh. at me and tell me that I'm... um wrong uh, <laughs> i do it all the time i don't need to be a patron for that that's, that's fair you should also check out our sponsor nerdy keppy you can use code bxpcast for 10 percent off um they have all kinds of cool masks and sweet pride swag i have a bunch of rad uh, by pride sneakers and boots that i got from there using mm-hmm. the code um and we are uh, thanks to 2020, we are st- we stalled out on this, but a bunch of RBXP merch is going to be moving there as exclusive items you can only get on that site. Um, but that's coming because both Nerdy Cappy and BXP are kind of busy right now. Uh, Nerdy Cappy is busy because they are currently doing a proud to the bone Kickstarter with some rad as fuck Pride Skull enamel pins. Oh my god, they're amazing. They're really cool. I want them uh- all. <laughs> Uh, they're unlocking like one by one as more money rolls in. I think what Wolf Different Skull was the skulls. last last one that unlocked. Yeah, they have There's they like... have a human skull as the start, and then they yep. have a, a a crow skull and a wolf skull unlocked, and a deer. Uh, they have and a deer skull. The deer, yeah. all of them are fucking sweet, but a lot of the animal skulls are very good. And they've got a, a whole suite of cool animal skulls that they're unlocking with all the different pride flags, 15 different pride flags per skull. So lots and lots of cool shit. Yeah. Uh, and then the final one is a uh, ribcage. Oh, the, the pride part is that they all the skulls are like wearing a flower crown. So they're really yeah. like haunting and beautiful looking. And then the, the final one is a uh, rib cage where the heart is a flower. Uh, and that's part of the, the pride design. Yeah. yeah. So I, I hope we get to that one. We can yep. get to unlock that one. Yeah. So um, go look that up. 
Nerdy Cappy, Proud to the Bone on Kickstarter um, and back it so that I can get uh, a really cool rib- human ribcage pin for <laughs> my jacket of pins. Yep. Where can they find you on the internet? You can find me at daniellozon.com. I have a whole website dedicated to me. And <laughs> I also, you can find me at Lozon Author on Facebook. You can also find me at Impernius on Twitter, although my Twitter presence is very sporadic and sometimes just me screaming into the void. I'm not useful to follow on Twitter, uh, but you're welcome <laughs> to try it anyway. <laughs> if you want to email bonus experience and give us a topic for a deep dive, because we're probably going to do like one or two more of these. Mm-hmm. Um, we may just keep doing them because they're fun. They're fun. We'll, they're, we will always need some backup episodes for sure. Yeah. I don't uh, have anything better to do with my life. <laughs> Me neither, clearly. You can email us at bonusexpcast at gmail.com, or you can holler that suggestion to us at Twitter at bonusexpcast. And if you want to follow me, which I don't advise, but go for it, um, I am at Zenith Sun. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So everybody get out. Go, hey. Scott, I got I to do stuff. I got, I got shit to do. Okay. All right. Change it if you want to. Do I have to do this? Ugh, fine. Bonus Experience is written and produced by Monica and Ray, and this episode features special guest Danielle. Uh, and edited by Margaret. Our logo and art is by Nino Studios. Find her on Facebook and Instagram. Our theme song is Reuse Noise with the Light by CDK, and is used under the Attribution Non-Commercial Creative Commons license. BXP is part of the Misdirected Mark Network. Ugh, I'm not reading this. Fuck it. Bye.